Today's financial editor on 930 WFMD was recorded at an earlier date. The award-winning Your Financial Editor program on 930 WFMD. News from the worlds of business and finance with your financial editor, Chris Murray. Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And as a podcast, just go to Apple Podcasts and you can grab it there. Thanks so much for being with us this weekend. I appreciate it. Uh, If you're new to the program, welcome. Uh, If you've been with us for a while, thank you. And a special thank you to uh, the folks that have been with me since 1997. Uh, We're coming up on our 26-year anniversary in November, and it's been so much fun. And, um, you know, I, I, I really thoroughly enjoyed it. And um, continue to enjoy it. And a big reason for that is because of the very smart people I get to talk to uh, in the uh, financial industry, uh, you know, in politics, etc. So um, that's what makes it uh, good for me and apparently good for you guys, too, because uh, we've gotten some very nice accolades. And that's uh, all because of your participation and your support over the years. Um, and another good example of that is uh, today uh, talking with um, our guest. Dr. Bill Dunkelberg. Uh, He is the chief economist for the National Federation of Independent Business, the NFIB. And um, he's nationally known. You've uh, not only have you heard him here on the program last time uh, was back in February, but you've seen him on TV, I'm sure. And you've read um, his reports. Uh, He's also a professor emeritus of economics at the school of business and management at temple, Uh, other appointments. He's been at Purdue. He's been at Stanford university, university of Michigan, et cetera. And um, what we want to talk about today is earlier in the week, we got the uh, NFIB small business optimism index and just kind of want to get caught up on what that was telling us and put our fingers on the pulse of the uh, small businesses across this country, which literally are the backbone as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Dr. Uh, Dunkelberg, thanks a lot for being with us again. I appreciate it. Uh, My pleasure. I always enjoy it. Okay, great. So if you will give our listeners just an overview of, in case they're not familiar with the NFIB small business optimism index, kind of what it is and, and what it tries to measure and tell us. Sure. Well, let's start at the, at the bottom. Uh, NFIB has about 300,000 member firms across the country. And so back in 1973, we launched our first survey. We take a random sample of the membership and mail a questionnaire out to them, asking them about uh, how the business is doing and what their expectations are, how's hiring, prices, all those kinds of things. We put those data together and make them available to the public uh, and, of course, uh, to Congress to let them know how uh, the small businesses are doing. Because back in those days, uh, small businesses were kind of ignored by uh, Congress and the regulators. It's all about big business. But we suddenly you had discovered that if you just look at the small business sector of the U.S., uh, it's the third largest country in the world behind, of course, the total U.S., and then China, and then uh, small business. A lot of, a lot of business gets done with the small business owners. So the index is something we created uh, through uh, with some of the questions. Uh, it has 10 components, and uh, they're all kind of forward-looking components. 
uh, to give us some sense of where the small business sector is aiming. So there are questions in there about hiring and, of course, uh, about uh, capital spending, inventory investment, uh, wages, all those kinds of things. We put those together in a monthly report, which you can get at NFIB.org and read it for free. So we encourage you to do that. Um, The index has um, had a a 50-year average. October will be, uh, we'll celebrate our 50th mailing, 50 years of mailing. Uh, The the 50-year average for the index is 98. And I I think that the uh, index has uh, been below that for 20 months now. Uh, In fact, it's really been close to around 90. Uh, It did fall last month by six-tenths of one point, but that's statistically not significant. If you just look at the last uh, year or so, we're really not different from 90, but that's so far off of of uh, just the average, and it's very typical of what we've seen in the really bad recessions, like the 1980 recessions, for example, or 2008. So we've been at recession levels for quite a while now. Is there a certain way that NFIB defines a small business? Uh, no, it's not. And actually, uh, if we go back to the name, it's National Federation of Independent Business. Um, so, you know, you, you just, uh, if the owners and the operators, you know, are private people and not some corporation, why you could qualify. But most, you know, the, the great bulk of our members have uh, fewer than 50 employees. In fact, in fact, a huge percentage of them have fewer than 10 employees. So but we're really small in terms of just employment size. Uh, definitely uh, a collection of small operators. But like you said, the NFIB is the third largest, you know, when you look at um, the way you put it behind uh, America in total and then China. I mean, that's very, very powerful amount yeah. of uh, business. That's, that's a lot of GDP. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, like you had just mentioned your report, uh, you know, folks can go and get it, read it for free, along with a lot of other really interesting um, business and economic uh, and employment information on your website. Um, and you said that it came in at a reading in August of 91.3, the 20th consecutive month below that 49-year average of uh, 98. What are the main drivers that we've seen um, pushing this index below that historical average for the last 20 months? Uh, well, the, the, uh, the biggest driver downward has been uh, the questions we ask about the economy, about business conditions. Do you think that the question is something like, do you think uh, business conditions will be better or worse uh, six months from now than they are today? And uh, that's been a huge negative. Uh, we've almost, well, we really haven't seen it any lower uh, in the history of the survey than we've managed to hit. So that's a big, big negative. Then following right behind that is expected sales, expected real sales. That's a big negative number. Uh, so that's a net minus 14%, meaning that 14 percentage points more owners said down uh, than said up. And uh, that, that's uh, so you put that together with a minus 37%, which is better than, by the way, if quite a few months ago, when it was like minus 50. Uh, uh, the, uh, those are the two ser- really serious drivers of the index. The thing that actually keeps it higher than, uh, than it might otherwise be are the unusually high levels of job openings and uh, plans to fill those up and hiring plans. 
Uh, those have been terribly strong. If you if you removed them from the index and then recalculated it based on just eight components, you'd find that we're really about as low as we've ever been in the 50-year history of the uh, of the index. But uh, somehow or another, as bad as their view of uh, the future is, um, they want to hire, and uh, and they they see an opportunity to make some money. And of course, consumer spending has been uh, surprisingly robust. Uh, through all of this nonsense that we're going through with the inflation and everything. So, you know, they, they're saying, well, if I could hire another person, I could make more stuff, I could uh, sell more stuff, I could make some more money. And so they would like to do it, and they try to. But if you look at uh, their report of their own success, as we ask them over the last three to six months, did you increase or decrease the total number of people working for you? That's been a negative number uh, now for most of the year, negative meaning more firms say my employment uh, is falling than say it's rising. Yeah, and <clears throat> excuse me, uh, just if you're just joining the program, talking with my guest this morning, uh, Mr. Bill Dunkelberg, Chief Economist for the National Federation of Independent Business. And um, so, you know, and that's just what you just said, like, you know, and it's in your, um, you know, some of your comments in the NFIB small uh business optimism index you said that with small business owners views about future sales growth and business conditions uh discouraging owners want to hire and make money now from that strong consumer spending does it ever surprise you how resilient and just um you know how wonderful so many of these independent businesses and small businesses are that um even though they've got all these you know the the wind in their face kind of howling they continue to 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 want to be prosperous and and provide and uh, just be you know um, uh, good stewards, if you will, out there for the consumer. Well, that's that's what entrepreneurs are all about. I mean, they they're risk takers in the sense of uh, putting up their own money uh, to keep the business running. They most of them started their businesses with their own saving and built from there. Um, so they love uh, being able to. Uh, serve the consumer and deal with consumers. And, of course, they like the independence uh, of owning their own business, which they hope will continue in the future, even though the the government seems to want to regulate them more and more and more. It seems to want to control everybody, large or small. But um, So NFIB uh, members continue to face a, a, a swamping of new regulations trying to control how they do their business and what they sell and what they can't sell and uh, what prices they can charge and can't charge. Uh, but, uh, but they're, they're, they're optimistic about the future and they love their independence and they love their customers. And uh, so they're pretty happy uh, sticking with it. That's what makes them happy. Yeah, it seems that way for sure. So, you know, obviously um, one of the things I know that was very, very, um, hurtful for the independent uh and small business and entrepreneur was um the virus and um i think they were unfairly targeted and uh obviously it put a lot of them out of business and um the virus has done tremendous damage obviously death and illness 
and um, you know tearing families apart because of financial issues and the mental health and the drug, etc. But it also did have a very big impact on um, those independent businesses. And the reason I bring it up right now, I just want to get your take. We're starting to get these hints, these little uh, droplets, if you will, about um, suggestions, recommendations, and then potential mandates and what that might mean going forward. If, uh, God forbid, you know, we were to have those draconian type of restrictions put in place again, do you think it would be even more difficult for these independent and small businesses to survive? Well, yeah, because basically what happens is that the, the fixed costs of operating keep going up and going up and going up. I mean, one of the, uh, one, this is one of many, but it's important, just paperwork. I mean, there's the, the the best asset, the biggest, most important asset of the small business is the is the uh, entrepreneur owner, the, the genius behind the business, so to speak. And the more time that uh, they have to spend filling out forms and complying with stuff, the less time they can spend innovating and growing their business and serving their customers. And uh, that's that's been a, a continuing problem over the decades, and it's not getting any better. It gets worse and worse all the time. And uh, so it's, you know, it's a regulatory tax that unfairly falls on the small businesses. Um, You know, you have to sort through, you know, tens of thousands of pages of the congressional record to find the regulatory changes that might affect you and and then try to figure out how to comply with them. Well, you know, small businesses don't have a legal staff and an HR staff and all of that. They have one person, (laughs) the owner and the owner's family maybe, and they're the ones that have to do all, all that work and carry that burden. And so the more that the government uh, interferes with the operation and makes them comply with all kinds of uh, uh, regulations, why the more damage is done and the harder it is to keep your business and also the harder it is to start one. Yeah, exactly. And then the other thing I think that people um, often don't understand is with all of that, um, if they aren't able to to uh, to have their own compliance department or people to handle, you know, in-house all the, the regulatory stuff, um, you know, they have to uh, outsource that. Well, that's an additional cost. And that eventually is just an additional cost. And one of two things are going to happen. Either the owner of the business is going to be able to eat it all or they're not. And they're going to pass that on. So that just creates... Uh, more inflationary pressure like we've been experiencing for the last two and a half years. Exactly. You know, these costs have to get passed on uh, because, you know, the the, uh, owner doesn't have any place to go with it. I mean, the simple thing to think about is just uh, energy costs. Well, you know, if uh, the price of energy doubles, uh, what what can they do? Um, Well, they can't, uh, in a competitive environment, they can't just... uh, raise their prices uh, on their own, but uh, there's nothing they can do except pass those costs on to the, the consumer. And they can do that uh, in the situation when you have this, uh, these costs that affect everybody. So when the government raises minimum wages or energy prices go up or uh, increases, you know, other kinds of compliance costs, it affects everybody. And so those costs... Uh, rise and uh, can't be, can't come out of the bottom line uh, because the bottom line's as skinny as it can be made in a competitive environment so that everybody has to raise prices and so that's what happens i mean we had 40% uh, just last month raising 
raising uh, their selling prices. That's that's very very high and it's inflationary. It's much better than some of the numbers we've seen in the last two years. We've been up, you know, high as high as seventy uh, percent raising prices. That of course is inflation. That's inflation on Main Street and uh, generated uh, by government pressure. Yeah, exactly. Overspending and bad monetary policy. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So um, are there, I'm just curious, are there any sectors that are doing better than others out there uh, when we talk about the independent businesses? Uh, you know, you mentioned energy or housing or um, retail or anybody in particular that seems to be having an easier time or a tougher time in this environment? Sure. Well, it does go up and down again, depending on what's going on in the economy. Uh, let's look at let's look at housing and construction. Um, thanks to the Fed, you know the mortgage rates have gone from you know three to seven percent. Uh, that put a real damper on the on total uh, growth in the construction industry, and of course, especially the low end. And the and low end gets doubly squeezed because it's so hard to get uh, zoning permission to build. Uh, uh, cheaper houses, inexpensive housing. So the only thing you you can make money on today as a as a builder is to build you know uh, four hundred thousand dollar houses, not two hundred thousand dollar houses. And so we've seen house prices rise very dramatically. And so uh, that's not uh, going well in that sector. Um, the sectors that have been recovering um, most recently pretty well. Uh, would be uh, the would be the non-professional services sector. Uh, so uh, and that, and that, of course, grew out of uh, the fact that we'd shut down everything, including restaurants and uh, and gyms and all those wonderful things uh, where consumers get those services uh, got shut down because they were non-essential, and then they've slowly come back. So coming out of the uh, coming out of the the uh, COVID. Uh, problem. I, the first thing that did well was a good sale because we could do it on the internet. <laughs> we could buy all kinds of stuff. Right. But now the, now the spending is shifted over to the services, which is uh, where the employment growth has been now for the small business sector. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. And again, where's the best place for uh, our listeners to go to get all of this information from the National uh, Federation of Independent Business? NFIB.com. Okay, excellent. So again, go to NFIB.com, folks, and uh, you can grab the report that uh, uh, Dr. Dunkelberg uh, explained to us in detail this morning. The latest Small Business Optimism Index came out earlier this week, um, and also a lot of other very educational, informative, and honest information that they have on their website. Uh, Mr. Dunkelberg, thank you so much for taking the time. I think it was last February we talked, like I mentioned, um, so maybe we'll uh, be fortunate to catch up with you in another six, seven, eight months and get another update for all of our audience. We'd be happy to join you. Excellent. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. And I know you guys are really busy doing excellent work. So uh, thanks to uh, Dr. Dunkelberg and everybody at NFIB. Um, and again, go to NFIB.com and you can get all that information. Uh, we're out of time, so uh, we're up against a hard break. So we have to um, uh, end it here. Uh, join me Monday through Friday, 550, 650, when I talk with Bob and Chris and uh, on the Morning News Express and we get you those uh, business updates updates and um i will be back here next saturday for another edition of the your financial editor program this is chris murray wishing you and your family financial success bill on his old ball cap
been like an A-frame house. He was sitting on a park bench with some beach nut in his mouth. So no one reads the paper. These days it's all online. But there he was behind the times. Said this world's done gone to hell I usually don't talk politics As far as I can tell We could use another Reagan Boy, he was one of a kind Then he shook his head Behind the times It's your financial editor With Chris Murray On 930 WFMD Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And as a podcast, just go to Apple Podcasts and you can uh, grab it there. Uh, thanks so much for being with us this weekend. We appreciate it as always. Uh, just celebrated our 26-year anniversary. Um, have a great program for you today. Uh, next uh, weekend, Dr. Ben Carson's coming back on. Um, some more from uh, EJ, EJ Antoni, excuse me, um, on inflation and the economy the week after that. So uh, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Uh, very happy to have uh, my guest today, Ms. Tina Doskovich. Uh, she is a co-founder of a wonderful organization that's really making uh, a true and positive difference uh, for our country. Uh, it, it has to do with children. It's called Moms for Liberty. Um, children, education, the family, and the importance of all those things. And um, I just, again, for our audience, our, our children are our future, right? our grandchildren, our nieces and nephews, our godchildren, um, and just the children that are around us and that we have uh, any type of impact on and can help. And uh, they've really been under siege, in my opinion, for quite some time. Um, our three children are grown, but um, we saw the, the cracks in the dam as we were raising our children, had to be very conscious of what was going on, what they were being exposed to, what they were being taught or not taught. Um, so that's why I think this is very important. You know, we do this uh, every now and then on the program, focus on children because they are so important. So having said that, uh, welcome, Ms. Deskovich. So nice to have you on the program. Oh, I'm grateful for the opportunity to speak with you today. Yeah, thanks. So first, um, just start off with letting everybody know who you are and about your organization. I am the co-founder of Moms for Liberty, Tiffany Justice, my other co-founder. The two of us started Moms for Liberty January 1st of 2021. We're former school board members. We served here in Florida um, 2016 to 2020. We didn't know each other. We were in different counties, but we had the exact same experience. We saw behind the education curtain. We saw how the sausage was made. We saw the concerns uh, with teachers' unions having more power than parents and more uh, influence over students and what they're doing uh, from when school starts and stops to days off to everything, um, more input than, than parents had. Parents had no input at all. So as 2020 happened, all of America kind of saw, had a better look into education. Lessons are being streamed into homes that were concerning to parents. Parents were trying to speak about their concerns and they were getting shut down, locked out of meetings, microphone shut off. And so we just looked at each other and we said, hey, uh, we, we know how to help these parents navigate this and we know how to impact change. Let's start this organization. And, you know, not even three years later, and we are in uh, 48 states. We have 300 chapters. A chapter covers a county, and we have 130,000 moms that are active. 
Fantastic. Congratulations uh, to you and uh, Miss Justice for, for what you were able to accomplish in, in such a short period of time. So um, as far as geography, we're, uh, the, the station here is fairly close to Loudoun County. And I think that kind of became ground zero uh, for just the overall mess in the education system. And it, it grew out of there. Obviously, a lot of press. Um, people, fortunately, were kind of enlightened as to what was going on. And then we have, uh, you know, moms for Liberty and others that are getting involved. So how much of a change have you seen since uh, you and Miss Justice uh, co-founded Moms for Liberty? So there's been many changes. We've had a huge impact. And you're right, it's not just Moms for Liberty. We represent, I think, uh, a big portion of the parental rights movement, but there's a lot of other local parental rights organizations that are advocating and and people that are fighting on the front, line, uh, fighting on the front lines also. So um, the, the the change for our organization I can speak to, you know, aside from winning 365 school board seats over the last two uh, two years, which is huge for us because you know we have no money and we've launched a pack now, but we have no money in the pack. Um, we ha- all we really had was moms uh, vetting candidates, endorsing them, saying these people will stand with parents and protect kids, and then they were able to use social media or go volunteer with the campaign. But we had we had no like tools and skills and abilities the first year to 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 really make an impact, and we were able to win 365 seats. So that's remarkable. Also, they, our chapters form legislative committees. Uh, once there's multiple chapters in a state, and then they work to impact legislation at the state level. And over the last legislative session alone, uh, we had 24 bills signed into law over seven states that either protected parental rights or uh, there were transparency laws in public education that parents should have access to curriculum and things of that nature. So huge changes, huge impact just for our organization, not to mention what other organizations are doing too. Yeah, and and I think one of the articles I saw, your um, your fundraising and financial support was up tremendously from um, from when you started. Yeah, so year one, um, just a backstory. I know people, uh, the, our haters do not believe it, but we started in my back bedroom. I took $500 out of my checking account and bought a box of t-shirts and made our logo. Um, I gave 10 shirts to friends. It was um, the end of December 2020 that we're over at my house for a Christmas party. And I said, look at this, this great thing. <laughs> look at this name. <laughs> and they were like, oh, this is so fun. And they put the shirts on and we took a picture uh, you know, that was the start. And so no, no funders, no money, no ability to do anything. We put a donate button on our website and we closed out 2021, which was our first year under a half a million dollars. I think like 300 and so I can't remember the exact, but under a half a million dollars and uh, just all on our own, just being scrappy. Uh, but year two was much better. People started noticing us and the impact we were having. And so we closed out a little over $2 million. Oh, congratulations. And by the way, folks, for everybody listening, you can go to momsforliberty.org, momsforliberty.org. Um, and if you're driving, listening to this, obviously don't try to write that down. Just uh, send me an email or give me a call and I'll, I'll make sure that uh, that you get that website if uh, if you don't remember it. 365 school board seats. That is, you know, we can't skip over that. That is, like you said, remarkable, literally. Um how were you able to do that? What's the, what's the process? I'm thinking, again, you know, we have so many good people that listen to the program and have for decades um, that love their children. They love their grandchildren. They love their nieces and nephews. They, uh, they love their godchildren. Uh, I mentioned earlier in the program, the little league coaches, uh, you know, all that stuff. Um, what's your process as far as how you get people involved and, and kind of how they can make a difference? Uh, there's so many ways. Everybody can do something. At a minimum, you can sign up for our newsletter at momsforliberty.org and stay informed. But you, if you have a local chapter, so if you go to our website, there's a big map. 
Uh, if your county is navy blue, it means you don't have a chapter. You can click on it and you can start a chapter. You need 10 people uh, and, and to go through some screening and an interview and you can start a chapter. But if you have a chapter in your county, uh, it'll be gold and you can click on it and you can connect to your chapter. Sign up for their newsletter. At a minimum, stay informed at what's going on in your school district and where the concerns are so that you can plug in when something concerns you greatly and you have a support network. What we find is parents join us all the time, but it's usually after, you know, they open the backpack and see a concerning uh, lesson or, you know, there's an issue with their child at school and the, the school's not handling it, the district's not handling it. They don't know how to navigate it and they plug into the chapter. So do that from the beginning. Uh, and then once you do that, there's so many things. You can review curriculum. You can help candidates. You can you can vet candidates, so many things. And then ultimately, the best thing you can do is run for school board. There's 13,000 school districts in this country. And, you know, every school board has five to nine people sitting on it. There's a lot of school board seats. We have a long way to go. 365 is amazing, but we have a long way to go. And so run for school board. And we at Moms for Liberty are developing all kinds of tools, uh, you know, as we grow and we get more funds and, and we're able to do things. We've developed a candidate toolkit for school board members. When I ran, there was nothing. If you Googled how to be a school board member when I ran, because I did that, there's nothing out there, no resources, you know, uh, big, big Canada, big people that help with campaigns don't want to help school board members because there's no money in it. And so we've stepped in and we're giving tools and resources to people that want to run. Perfect. Uh, we're talking this morning. If you just joined us um, with Miss Tina Deskovich, uh, she's a co-founder of Moms for Liberty. <clears throat> Excuse me. You can go to momsforliberty.org and get a ton of information. The radio signal uh, goes through Maryland into Virginia, Pennsylvania, West Virginia. Um, so again, um, but you may be listening to the podcast or streaming online and you could, I know we have people in Arizona and Florida and everywhere, um, but you can, you know, go onto the website. And as uh, Ms. Deskovich said, you can um, find out if you have a local chapter and then you can sign up for the newsletter, get involved. Um, so how, how optimistic are you going forward? You just mentioned those numbers, a tremendous success with 365 school board seats that that was achieved 13,000 school districts. I think I heard you just say, um, going forward, how optimistic are you? Do you continue to see this momentum? Has it kind of leveled out a little bit? Where are you right now with, uh, looking forward? Well, our biggest opponent uh, seems to have become the teachers unions and the teachers unions have hundreds of millions of dollars and they've had a stronghold on public education for decades. And so they are not real happy right now. Uh, they are putting a lot of money into fighting any moms for liberty candidate or anything that we're doing. And so it's getting harder. Um, the, the heat, the intensity, the attacks uh, are getting, are getting, uh, they're coming faster <laughs> than we can, you know, that we can keep up with. But uh, we're not slowing down. We're not stopping. It does not deter us. You know, it's really unfortunate. Uh, you know, I don't know how much longer we have, but we could get into the whole targeting of our organization and our members by uh, the DOJ. The Go ahead. FBI. Yeah, jump into that real quick. So, yeah, jump into yeah. that so people know. Yeah. So, you know, a year out the gate, we started having impact. And the, um, and, you know, parents across the country were speaking at school board meetings, but the Department of Justice put out a threat tag telling the FBI to tag uh, to put out a hotline number for people to call if they were if they thought that people were acting up at school board meetings too much. And so people were calling in on our moms that were just speaking at school board meetings. And so they called in, and then the threat tag, um, the FBI would have to follow up on those. So they were calling, the FBI was calling our parents, did you speak at a school board meeting? Um, do you have weapons in your home? Do you have mental health issues? Just on and on and on. So now you've got the DOA, the, DO, the DOJ, the FBI, 
You've got the National School Board Association. Uh, a whistleblower proved that they were colluding with the Biden White House to come after us, too. And then um, we've got uh, someone else that came out, or, or the, they did FOIA requests, so public records requests, to see that the Southern Poverty Law Center visited the Biden White House six times, which followed up with us being labeled an anti-government extremist group and added to the hate map by Southern Poverty Law Center. So, you know, the full force of the federal government has come after us. We're just a bunch of moms, like I told you, started out in my back bedroom. And um, we're not going to stop. We are not going to stop. No, and God bless you. And, and it just goes to show that you're doing the Lord's work because when you have all of that pressure and all of those organizations and, the, the of course, uh, from a business standpoint, the, the sad part from business is that's our tax, pun- uh, our tax money. People that work hard, pay their taxes, and fund these um, uh, these organizations and agencies that have lost credibility, um, you know, that's such a waste of, of resources to be bothering um, people like you and, and other moms and dads and aunts and uncles. It's, it's just, um, if you don't laugh, you're going to put your fist through the wall, I think. Um, so, again, I want to make sure everybody has a, a clear understanding. And, and again, if they just joined us, um, recap what they can do to get involved and, um, you know, how they can help, whether it's uh, w- volunteering, donating, whatever it may be. Uh, there's all, all of those options are fantastic and we need all of it. We need time. We need your time. Uh, we need you to stay informed of what's going on. We do need to continue to raise funds to grow. So, and you can do all of that by going to momsforliberty.org, big map, sign up uh, with your chapter or start a chapter, the donate buttons on there. We also have merch. We've got a lot of great shirts and hats and things that you can wear uh, and it starts conversations about the issues as you're wearing it out. And obviously the proceeds go to help our organization. Perfect. And you said like, you know, with these, these very, chapters and you said a county is a chapter that is that growing uh, pretty steadily for you yes absolutely so um uh, you know three years 300 chapters so we're a little over 300 chapters and we just keep growing every month we add chapters uh, every month someone else wakes up it's surprising that people and not everybody still knows what's going on but you know one by one people are starting to to understand what's happening and, and want to stand up and fight back yeah, that's that's great. And uh, the last question I have for you, if you can elaborate a little bit on of the 365 sc- school board seats that you successfully helped uh, these people become elected. Um, have you have you seen an impact? Have you seen them making a difference already or is it is it still too early? Oh, no, absolutely. The The last election cycle, there was a whole bunch of articles that ran because a lot of our a lot of our elect, uh, endorsed school board members, when they took over, we flipped. I know I just back up there. We flipped like um, I think it was 56 school boards to be um, from more liberal leaning to more conservative school boards. And um, and some of those places were like Miami-Dade, uh, Charleston, South Carolina, which which are pretty were pretty blue cities. And so. Um, immediately in some of those cities, they would, refi- they would fire the superintendent who had been, you know, uh, pushing in things like critical race theory or DEI. And so major impacts uh, right out of the gate. You know, and that's an interesting um, comparison, Miami-Dade to Charleston, South Carolina. I mean, that's a, that, I would think that's a vastly different demographic. Am I right? Um, they're both cities. They're both kind of urban areas. Even Charleston uh, is a city. So, you know, it's it's not Miami-Dade. Obviously, the Hispanics uh, right. the Hispanic population is much heavier in Miami-Dade, but still a city, still uh, Democrat-controlled uh, when it comes to things, and then definitely in the education area. So for Moms for Liberty to go into those cities, 
Um, and not just take one seat, but take enough seats to have a majority uh, was really remarkable. Yeah, that's major. And and again, I mean, it just goes to show, like when I heard that, the, the crossover, and I think like you had mentioned a little bit ago, people actually waking up and realizing what's going on. And it really doesn't matter where you are, but with that common sense mentality and wanting to make sure that children are protected and uh, given the best uh, opportunities um possible for them that for people that have common sense they're like oh okay yeah that makes total total sense to me and i need to get involved and we need to elect these other school board members and with you guys getting those toolkits out and helping uh someone who maybe has absolutely no political background and maybe even had no interest in politics prior the um that uh you know the the kind of the step-by-step that's necessary so that they do it they do it well and have the best chance of being elected to school board Chris, 83% of our candidates, first-time candidates. That's exactly what we do. We just take parents or community members, aunts, uncles, whoever. It's like, oh, my gosh, this is horrible. I'm going to stand up against it. I'm going to run. And we help them. Absolutely. Well, um, my wife is very involved um, in 4-H. Actually, last night was the Christmas 4-H party. I think we had 83 kids at our house. Um, but th- that'll be a, that's actually something that would be wonderful because they have monthly meetings and the, they have various topics. And, you know, education is first, one, you know, very foremost in, in importance for them as, as children and their parents can hear things. So I'm personally going to reach out and find a local chapter member and see if they can come and give a presentation and, and um, you know, see what the kids think about it and and of course uh, just as importantly or more what the parents think and how they can get involved love it uh please do that if you need help connecting uh let us know but you should be able to connect easily on the website to whoever your chapter chair is there in your county absolutely yeah thank you all right so that uh, does it for our conversation today with miss tina uh doskovich she's, she's the co-founder of moms for liberty go to momsforliberty.org a wonderful organization you can get involved you can get educated you can donate to help you can do all the above so uh miss Tokovich, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule and uh, we wish you the best and hopefully we'll check in with you down the line to see how uh, things have progressed. Sounds great. Thank you so much for the time. All right. Take care. Um, Just, uh, you know, as I mentioned, these are the kind of things that we want to make sure um, that we make available to people um, so that they have that access to, um, you know, to have the knowledge, to have the opportunity to um, really just to, um, to, to be able to participate. These are children and, we all have, or at least I know, you know, I have the horror stories of the things that our kids told us. And, you know, we hear other horror stories from other parents and um, parents right now whose children are young and, and obviously very impressionable um, and things uh, have just been getting worse. So when you look at Moms for Liberty and these other organizations that are out there really making a difference and caring about and protecting children um, and giving them the opportunities that they deserve. I'm not even going to get into the money you spend on education and how much of it is wasted on the administrative level, um, that type of thing. But what you can do, what we can control is to get involved and uh, make sure we're looking out for children because uh, that's uh, that's very important. And, you know, that old, uh, that old saying um, – out of the Godfather movie, uh, I think it was Godfather three. I put it in my book. Um, children are the only wealth in this world, right? So even though this is a financial show, um, that's just flat out accurate. So that does it for us, uh, for this weekend. We'll be back next weekend. Ben Carson's going to be here, Dr. Ben Carson. Um, and then I'll be talking with, um, Bob and Chris weekday mornings and, um, 
that's it. Five fifty, six fifty, and seven fifty. Um, those are live updates. So we'll talk to you then. This is Chris Murray wishing you and your family financial success. There's a hole in this country where it's hard used to be. No glory is divided on fire in the street. They say building back better, make America great. If that's a wave of the future, all I've got to say, stick your Past editions of this program are available in the audio vault at WFMD.com. News Radio 930. WFMD Frederick. A connoisseur media radio station. 7 o'clock. 